Do y'all remember any like Sunday school lessons that were your favorite as a kid? I remember mine was Joseph and his multicolored coat. Uh, they're that thing called a felt board that they would put the characters on. Um, for those younger uh, than me, uh, that's a thing where they would be felt. And anyway, it was great. That was my favorite one. What was one of your favorite Sunday school lessons as a kid? Just shout it out. Just want to hear it. What's one of your favorite Bible stories from Sunday school? Zacchaeus, the short little man. Was the wee little man? Was he? Yes. Zacchaeus, who? Jonah and the whale. Okay, there you go. Do what? Walls came tumbling down. Yeah, to uh, Jericho, right? Yeah. Anybody else? Dave and Goliath and what? Moses in the basket. Yes, little baby Moses. That's right. That's right. Yeah, uh, of course, we have uh, Noah in the ark. We have the giraffe's head sticking out of the top of the... That's very uh, archaeologically accurate. Um, You know, whenever we hear those stories as children, when we're adults, we don't really hear sermons about them anymore. Not as much, right? It's almost like, well, I did that. I I, kind of went there. So uh, we don't really hear a, a whole lot about it later on in life. And I think that maybe goes along with Psalm 23. I mean, when you leave those stories as a kid, you leave Sunday school, Jonah and Jericho and Noah and the ark, you would think, man, my God can do anything. Like, <laughs> he swallowed a man a fit with a, a fish, and, you know, like, you just think God can do anything. And then you hear Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. We've heard it so much. We've, we see it on, it's probably the most popular one on, in graveyards and tombstones. You hear it in movies. You hear it in songs like that song by Coolio, <laughs> Gangster's Paradise. I think about that when I think about Psalm 23. Um, you, you've heard it so much, we t- you can almost tend to think it's almost a cliche, if that's possible with the Bible. And yet, in these six verses of Psalm 23, there is such a richness of words and, and, and picture that it brings, such power of God's provision, of God's protection, that, that it's so good to marinate on these words. So here's Psalm 23. We're going to do it verse by verse. So read, let's all read this together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now everybody has a shepherd. Everybody has something by which they're directed, some, something by which they make their decisions, something by which you have your authority, by which you make who you are and you live and move and have your being. Now obviously for Christians, your shepherd is Jesus. But for a lot of other people, that Jesus is not their shepherd, your shepherd could be um, your, own, your own autonomy. Usually it's just yourself. Like, I am my own shepherd. If your shepherd's not Jesus, it's probably going to be yourself. It's going to be your career. It's going to be money. It's going to be your sex or sexuality. It's going to be your trust in institutions. It's going to be all these other things. But everybody has a shepherd. And for people that don't know Jesus as their, as their shepherd, and they trust their own ability and autonomy and rights more than the leadership of God in their life, then you're, you're really just pushing God away. You're pushing God out and saying, God, I don't need to make, you, make me do anything. I can do what I want when I want. And we do that because we're rebels at heart, and we don't want to be told what to do because we think we know what's best. We think we know what's better than the shepherd knows for our lives. But David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Because he is with me, I don't need anything. Because the shepherd is with me, I want nothing. I'm at peace. I lack nothing. I mean, doesn't that sound liberating? 
I don't need anything because he is my shepherd. In our world, it's hard to wrap our minds around not needing anything because we're always moving to the next agenda, the next meal, the next meeting, the next thing. But he's saying, when the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing in his presence. David is hearkening to a future day. A day that here and now, actually, those who have gone on ahead of us, they're experiencing it right now, which is that in God's presence, there is need of nothing. Amen? There's, you lack nothing in God's presence in heaven. The only thing you could say you actually need or you want is for God's presence not to leave. Other than that, you don't need anything in God's presence. It's perfect peace. That is a fact. So who wouldn't want that? Remind me why you wouldn't want the Lord as your shepherd. Because there's really no good reasons. Because, like I said, in God's presence, there is need of nothing. Now, as a young boy, David was a shepherd, as maybe you know. Before he became anointed as king of Israel, he was a shepherd. That was his role as his family. He would go out each day and shepherd the flocks, chase off wild animals with his sling that he obviously used in that story of David and Goliath. So he understood the rough nature of that work, of being a shepherd, what that in, entailed, sleeping in the elements, dealing with wild animals, you know, sleeping at night. Many times the shepherd would actually literally be the door to the sheep pen. They put the sheep in their pen at night, and then the shepherd would sit in the door frame and sleep there. The shepherd would literally be the door. So when Jesus talks about him being the shepherd in John chapter 10, or he is, he's also the door, think about that. He is the way the sheep come in and out. He's equating himself as, obviously, the good shepherd. But David understood what it meant to be a shepherd. And David, but he's admitting to God, God, even though I know how to be a shepherd, I'm not going to claim to be my own shepherd in my own life. I'm going to say to you that you are my shepherd. I'm a sheep of your pasture. And he's making a statement of certainty here. It's not one of, God, would you maybe help me? God, guide me? Or, God, please be my shepherd? No, you see this intimate dialogue between David and God. When he wrote this down, he probably never thought anybody would ever even read it. He's simply stating something, maybe to himself, a statement of certainty. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And what's even more beautiful about the statement of the Lord's being our shepherd, being my shepherd, being your shepherd, is that it's a personal experience of knowing the Lord's leadership in your life as your shepherd, but it's also a shared experience in which we all can know him as our shepherd because we're all the same flock. We're all the same unit, if you will. So let's look at verse 2. He makes, let's read this together. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Uh oh, God's going to make you do something. He's make, he makes you lie down in green pastures. You know, God, our shepherd, may make you do something for your own good. And parents, we understand that, right? We know what that means. You make your children do something, how difficult that can be. Even when it's a good thing. Like, my little girl, she's beautiful and perfect in every possible way. And I want to brush her hair in the morning, and it gets all tangly. So I'm trying to brush it, and I say, come here. Come here. And she's just like, what? What? Like, I'm speaking a foreign language. No, come here. Come here so I can brush your hair. What? Come here. Here. 
I start to brush the hair. I try to be, I try to be gentle. I don't want to pull on the tangles. No, you're hurting me, Dad. You're pulling on my brain. How am I pulling on your brain? That's where my hair comes from. When you make your children do something, even what's good for them, they might resist it, but even though you know they need it, the good shepherd makes us... What's a good shepherd going to make you do? He's going to make you lie down. He's going to make you rest. You may hear that and go, I can do that by myself. I don't need anybody to make me lie down. I don't need anybody to make me rest. I mean, that sounds pretty good already, but I don't need his help to do that. But have you ever been at a point in your life where you were so stressed out, so anxious, so outside of your mind with busyness that you needed someone to come alongside you and go, you need a break. You need, you need to slow down. We've all been there. Because if you don't get made to lie down and rest, if you get to a place called burnout. And that happens very quickly in our lives, spiritually, emotionally, physically. You have to be made to rest. And this is what the good shepherd does. He says, I will make you lie down in green pastures, even if you don't feel like it. Now, this is maybe stirring a revival in someone's heart. that You hear this and go, I need that. You know you need that. You know you need to be made, to be led, to be restored. So remind me again why Jesus might not be your good shepherd. Because who doesn't need that? To be made to lie down in a green pasture. Because in the Middle East, a green pasture would be quite the thing, especially nowadays, because all it usually is is desert and rocks, rocks and scrubby trees and dry ground. A green pasture obviously means lushness and beauty. Now, here in North Carolina, there's always some kind of green going on, but especially now. But then and there, not so much. And also, leads me beside still waters. See, obviously in the Middle East, when it rains and the, the streams, they're always torrential. It's either torrential or nothing at all sometimes because the ground is so hard that it can't handle the, the rainwater. And sheep get freaked out by all the loud sounds of the, the water and they won't go near the stream to drink. And it says that the Good Shepherd will lead us to a place where we can be refreshed, where we won't be afraid, where we will be restored. He will lead you to places of true rest. Now, when I was a kid, I could flat out sleep for like 10 or 12 hours straight, right? When you were young, like I could just sleep like no problem. Now I'll sleep about four hours and just bink, I'm awake, right? Does this happen to any of you? Two o'clock, let's go, 2 a.m., ready for the day to start. So you get up, you walk around, maybe you look at your phone too much, which is bad. Of course, you go to the bathroom. And you think, oh, it's the Bluetooth on my phone, like getting into my brain and makes all these advertisements so accurate for my phone. Like, what's going on here? And you, don't, you can't rest. You can't get back to sleep. But you know that sheep also have trouble sleeping. Sheep need a shepherd to actually rest. If sheep don't have the shepherd near them, if there's not calm in the flock, if anyone's spooked, they can't rest. And we're the same way. We need a shepherd to help give us, to lead us to those places of rest. Let's read verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Now here David's shifting from sheep imagery to more of the eternal, to more of the esoteric, to more of the this, this personally spiritual. becomes first person continues to be first person, but more, it's more about 
just it's not just him God hemming him in but keeping not just keeping him out of a pit or something but that God actually restores our soul and the word soul here in Hebrew is nefesh which means life or life force so he's also saying like the Lord gives me my life back and that just restores my soul but the good shepherd will give you your life back if you lost it He'll help restore it into your life. He'll turn you back to finding life. And he leads you. He leads you to where? Where is the good shepherd going to lead you? He's going to lead you toward righteousness. He leads us toward righteousness. We are led toward righteousness because, like I said, we are rebels at heart. We have the tendency to know what we ought to do, but we don't always do it. But when the good shepherd leads our lives, we are led down the right path. Now, if you are your own shepherd, you can't be led to righteousness because you're not willing to go there. You're going to buck against him and run off. You're not going to listen to direction because you're not submitting to the shepherd's direction and leadership. You won't allow yourself to be led. But Jesus says, if we will submit to his leadership, that it is gentle, it is not a burden, and in fact brings peace to your soul. If you look at Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says these famous words. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Again, we have animal imagery here. Obviously, a yoke is something they'd put on oxen, farm animals. You use it to direct their direction, to tell them where to go. So when you hear a yoke, you think, that sounds heavy, that sounds cumbersome, that sounds painful. But he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You see this parallel between Psalm 23 and how Jesus talks? For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He's essentially saying, if I direct your life, if I lead and shape where you're going, if you let me do that, I will not put a burden on you, but you will find rest for your souls. I will lead you to still waters. I will lead you to righteousness. Like John Wesley said, a holy person is a happy person. That sounds counter, countercultural now, but if you're seeking holiness and righteousness as we do as Wesleyans in our heritage, that you will be a happier person if that is your goal, to seek first the kingdom. So if you take time to be led in faith, you take time to be led by the good shepherd, if you're being led, and you're, if you're walking in faith, it means that you're being led, right? And that he is leading you. And here's verse 4. Let's read this together. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Obviously, not many predators are afraid of sheep. Coyotes aren't afraid of sheep. Wolves aren't afraid of sheep. Foxes aren't afraid of sheep. No one's really afraid of sheep. See, what the church needs, or what the world needs today, is a more fearless church a more bold church, a church that speaks prophetically into culture instead of culture speaking prophetically into the church. Because we don't need to apologize for anything about the gospel, but in, in fact proclaim it with, 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 with grace and truth. So don't focus on fear. Don't focus on your insufficiencies. Don't focus on your anxieties and the ways that you're scared. Don't focus on death. Because even the psalmist says that death is just a shadow. 
that passes over you. Donald Barnhouse was the pastor of Philadelphia's 10th Presbyterian Church in the 20th century. Pastor Barnhouse was one of the most well-known preachers in the Northeast. And Donald Barnhouse had to do something that none of us could probably ever do, which is he had to lead his own wife's funeral after she died of cancer. He had two little girls at the time, small children, and he was racking his brain, how in the world do I communicate this to my girls, what has happened? He's on the way to the funeral, he's driving to the funeral, his little girl's in the back seat. He pulls up to a stoplight, the sunlight's coming into the windows of the car, warming up the car, and then a truck pulls up next to the car and blocks out the sun, and a shadow comes across their car and where they're sitting, and it was there that he realized, this is how I can put it into perspective to my daughters for something in which I am struggling too. And he turns to his little girls and he says, would you rather be hit by a truck or by a shadow? His youngest daughter laughs and says, Daddy, that's silly. Of course I'd rather be hit by a shadow. A shadow can't hurt you. It was then that he realized, this is how I can explain it to my little girls. He said to them, it's as if Jesus stood in front of the truck for your mom and just a shadow went over her. And then he turned to his daughters and he quoted, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You're not alone. And maybe that's why we're so drawn to Psalm 23. Maybe that's why it's probably the most famous Bible verse. Verses. Because it's a, it's a reaffirmation that we know we're not alone. Like Mother Teresa said, that, that loneliness is the greatest spiritual malady around the world. That people think that they're alone. But they're not. They've never been alone. You've never been alone. He has never left your side. So when you read about the pain of the world, you could scroll through, through it on your news feed. It just keeps going. The death and the illness and the pain and the suffering and the injustice, it's more than we can possibly process. And it, it is more than we can possibly take in. But God's answer is, I'm with you. I'm with you. When even the worst thing comes, death, it's going to be like a shadow that just goes over your life. Because I stood in front of it and I took the punishment for you. So that when it comes, you have nothing to be afraid of. Will you pray with me? God, the amazing promise, Lord, that you indeed are with us. We have never been alone. That you as the good shepherd over our lives have always been present. You've watched us make mistakes. You've watched us stumble and fall. You've watched us hurt other people. You've watched us be hurt. But God, you have never disowned us. You're so patient and waiting for us to say, you are my shepherd. I'm tired of being my own shepherd. I don't, I can't do it. And, and that's actually good news. That when we confess you as our Savior and Lord, as our good shepherd, you say, Lord, to us, 
these astounding promises that we can fear no evil. We can fear not death. We can lack nothing all because the simple fact that you're with us. I pray, Spirit of God, for anyone here today that is truly struggling with depression or anxiety. That they would know what it feels like for you to make them slow down. To make us breathe you in and let go of this perceived sense of control we thought we had. God, thank you that you go ahead of us, you're behind us, you're beside us, you've been leading every step of the way, and God, let, I pray that you, I pray that we allow you to lead us to righteousness. And continue to abdicate our control over to you, Lord. For with you, there is perfect peace.